When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie, and this is before the box score. 20 days? 20 days until Missouri football kicks off. And wow, we got a whopper of a news story last night at 7.35 in the PM. BK, how are you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful. We have a local starting quarterback, which is wonderful, and I'll be honest, I, I was hopeful that it would go this way just because I think it's a really great story. I was skeptical that it would go this way after the offseason that mm-hmm. we had. So I'm excited to talk about all everything that took place between um, the bowl game and where we are today. <laughs> yeah, there's, no, there's no, no time to waste. Let's go Brady. No, let Brady cook. Hashtag let Brady cook. Mr. Cook, out of Chaminade, uh, was officially announced last night as the starting quarterback of your Missouri football Tigers. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means he's going to be in the one position for the Louisiana Tech game. That's about all you can guarantee. We know the history. We know Eli Drinkwitz does not like to juggle quarterbacks. We know he's fiercely loyal to the guy he puts in first. We know that Brady is both the most experienced uh, passer uh, on the roster as far as Missouri offense goes, and he's the one who's been with the playbook the longest. So, like, all of this makes sense. But like you said, BK, Eli was so aggressive in the transfer portal for a quarterback. You and I talked about it. It felt like whoever he got out of the portal was the person he was going to start. And I did not want that to happen. So the fact that Brady has been established as QB one with again, 20 days to go stops the rumors, stops the juggling and practice. It lets Brady get reps with the ones, the ones get reps with him. Certainly, you know, Tyler Macon and Jack Abraham and Sam Horn aren't out of the race, but it focuses your efforts for an opening four-week stretch of the year that's going to be very challenging. And frankly, it just makes more sense to put Brady Cook out there. Yeah, and like the thing that I love about Brady Cook as the starter is that he showed us in the bowl game what he's capable of doing. And part of that is the mobility. And I think that's a really big deal, man. I heard Eli Drinkwitz at his... Uh, press conference earlier today after he had named Brady Cook the starter, talk about how they're going to mold the offense to him. They're not going to make him fit into the offense. Now, we'll see how much of that is talk versus how much of that is reality. But he had also said after spring practice, I've heard him mention this a few different times now, that they were so impressed by the things that Luther Burden is capable of doing that they had to change some of the things that they're asking him to do. They, they're they're going to mold some of those situations around his talents. And that's what you want to hear out of your coach. That's honestly the best coaches should be doing that at all times is being sure to get the most out of their players. So I like hearing that. I do think that means you should have some more quarterback run opportunities in the system this year. But you look at what it means for early in the season. I, I, I think you're just flat out better than Louisiana Tech and Abilene Christian, so you should start 2-0 there. I'm fascinated to see what this looks like against K-State because mm-hmm. that's your first real test. 
And if Brady Cook looks good in that game, I, I would say the odds of him being your starter the rest of the year are incredibly high. If Brady Cook struggles in that game, that's where I wonder if things could open back up to somebody else, maybe reclaiming the job in week three. Because I know you said that mm. in the past, Eli Drinkwitz has been loyal to his quarterback. That is true when it was Connor Bazelak. But remember a few years ago, going into the pandemic season, it was Sean Robinson getting the opening start for Mizzou. Sure. Sure. And very quickly, he decided, you know what, I made a mistake here. And that was the last time that he really had the questions surrounding who his starting quarterback is the way that it has been so far this year. So I'm I'm really curious to see how it goes if there are struggles, which would be totally reasonable to expect with Brady Cook against K-State in particular. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Sean Robinson got the nod his first year. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz's first year. I was more alluding to his his stint at Boise State and NC State That's and App State, uh, where Ryan Finley was basically his quarterback from Boise to North Carolina State, and then it was the Zach Thomas show. Um, but yes, you're right. It, it's more base like focus, but he also just he did not have to deal with injuries. He got really really lucky as an offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, I'm citing Dan Keegan's piece that went up this past week. He just he 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 hasn't had to deal with injuries at quarterback. It's flat out. So when Bazelak was clearly hampered, he he stuck with his guy and didn't think that you know the people behind him were going to make a difference. I don't know if that's still going to be the case. You know, you talked about the adaptability. Yes, that's what you want. But keep in mind, you know, the Eli Drinkwitz offense has featured running quarterbacks before. Ryan yep. Finley was a bit of a tower, yes, but Zach Thomas at Appalach uh, Appalachian State uh, during 2019, which was the only season that that drink was uh, at, at App, Zach Thomas ran 86 times for 581 yards and eight eight touchdowns on the ground. That's 6.8 per carry. <laughs> like that's 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 a running quarterback, and he was getting four yards on 58 percent of his carries. So. It, it is an aspect of the Drinkwitz office that we just have not seen uh, since he came to Mizzou. Even when Bazelak was healthy in 20, he really wasn't toting the rock all that much. So I would love to see, you know, a lot more keepers on that zone read, uh, you know, have, have Burden line up on the outside, motion him in, uh, fake the handoff to him and scoot around the side. Like there, there are so many more things you can do when your quarterback is mobile, which I know, I'm sure you all listening to the show are tired of us saying this because we said mm -hmm. it all last year, but it just, you cannot understate it enough. If your quarterback can be a threat on the ground, it takes away one more defender from pass defense. And if you have one fewer player in pass defense, then that opens up your passing game even more. And with the athleticism of this wide receiving core, that's exactly what you need to get them in open space. Yeah. I, I hope we see it. I'm, I just don't know how much to trust it right now because sure. I've heard this stuff before, right? Mm -hmm. We are multiple def defensively and then they show <laughs> the same looks and I'm not specifically speaking of Mizzou, but like coaches in general, this is all yeah. easy stuff to say in the off season. And then you get into the season and it's the same thing that you've seen in the past. I don't know that that will be the case with Eli Drinkwitz and with this offense. I would assume it's not because the offense looks different even against, um, against army in the bowl game than it did previously uh with Basilek out there like mm -hmm. cook was just scrambling more often because that's something that he he takes advantage of with his legs so i'm really excited to see what this looks like i also think it's just a really cool story man like when you think about brady cook's journey to earning this job 
So let's let's go back to when he was a recruit. He was part of the 2020 recruiting class, but he committed to Missouri in the fall of 2018. He basically had another 16 months to be able to commit wherever he wanted to go. Mizzou was his first Power 5 offer, and he knew immediately, this is where I want to go. There's no reason for me to draw on this process. I'm just going to go ahead and accept this offer. And I do think that it ended up kind of tamping down the expectations and excitement among Mizzou fans for him because he was Mm -hmm. such an early commitment. He was a top 20 pro style quarterback in his class, according to rivals. This is not a situation where it's some like plucky underdog that committed (laughs) to the home school. He was a really talented quarterback that was never really viewed that way because so early on in the process, he just completely shut down his recruitment. I think that's something that gets lost sometimes when talking about Brady Cook. So you've got that at the front end. And then you continue forward, right? He gets here. He's stuck behind Connor Bazelak early on, and that's the way that it is. He goes through that first season, goes through the second season. And then last year, I I can't imagine being Brady Cook over the last literal calendar year. Because you go into the season, and I have to imagine in his heart of hearts, he thinks he's better than than Connor Bazelak was. Because I think a lot of us thought, hey, <laughs> this guy can't be worse than what we've seen from Connor Bazelak, especially after Bays got hurt. Yeah. So he goes into the season and he's not getting the opportunities, even as you're seeing the starter struggle. And then you go into that Georgia game and it's Tyler Macon that technically gets the start over him. And that was frustrating to watch, I'm sure, for him, because he thinks, again, I'm sure in his heart of hearts, he thinks he's better than than Macon. They split series, so on and so forth. You get to the end of the year and finally, finally, he gets his opportunity to start against Army. And then it's a heartbreaking loss because Mizzou (laughs) and... You get into the offseason, you're like, all right, I'm finally the guy. Connor Bazelak has transferred. I started in the bowl game. This is going to be the start of my opportunity to be the guy at the school that I've always wanted to go to. And then what happens? All offseason, your coach is doing nothing but flirting with every quarterback that is reigning from a former Power 5 school and trying like hell to upgrade from you. You know what he did? He went back to work, said, you know what? I don't care who you go out and acquire. I'm going to beat them out in a competition. I believe that I can do that. And I'm going to, I'm going to bet on myself to earn the right to be the starting quarterback at Mizzou. That's what he did. He ended up sticking it out. He won the job coming out of spring based on all reports. He continued to win it in fall. It took all of like a week and a half of camp. Some guys (laughs) don't even have their numbers yet. And Brady Mm -hmm. Cook has been named publicly the starting quarterback at the only university that has ever wanted to play for. That's a really cool story, man, especially for a local kid that is going to have a big time opportunity at his hands. So I'm just really happy for him. I have, I've seen every single video. I've read every single story. So I don't remember where this came from and I apologize to the source, but you, you did a great job. Um, somewhere down the line, Drinkwood said that kind of in the middle of the transfer portal quarterback search kind of like in the in the heat of it uh he had his quarterbacks uh, in a meeting and talking about what he was looking for and brady cook said coach if it is truly truly an open competition i'm not going anywhere i'm staying here and i'm going to win the job and he did it he absolutely did it it's a it's a rarity in the modern college game to have somebody Mm -hmm. like that now, again, 
He has not played it down this season. We have not seen him play. Therefore, we cannot sports hate him, uh, which I'm sure is going to come down the pipe on social media at some point during the season. Regardless of all that, regardless of how he performs, regardless of how the team does, this is just a really easy story to root for. And, you know, you and I were talking before, before we started, how many local quarterbacks, Missouri quarterbacks, start for the University of Missouri? It's not a lot. You know, he would be the first since technically Corbin Burkstresser when he got pressed into the service in 2012. Before that, you'd have to go to, uh, well, I guess te- technically Chase Patton uh, re- committed to Missouri. He was a very highly rec- uh, highly rated recruit out of Rockbridge in 2004. But other than that, you know, you got Kirk Farmer, 2000, 2001. And then Corby Jones under Larry Smith, 96, 97, 98. So it's not all that all that frequent uh, to have a Missouri kid start for the University of Missouri at quarterback. And, you know, Burke Stresser was Lee Summit. Uh, Farmer was Jeff City. Uh, Patton and Corby Jones were Columbia. And now finally we got a quarterback from St. Louis. Which Did you, did you mention Gabbert? Oh, Blake Gabbert. Yeah. There's also uh, that guy. <laughs> star. How could I forget the five star out of Parkway West? Yes. So I guess he's a St. Louis kid too, but it's just not all that common. You know, it's, 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 it's been tough to get Missouri kids to commit to Missouri in the past. And it's certainly been tough to get quarterbacks to commit to Missouri from, uh, to Missouri from Missouri. So it's, it's very cool. And again, he has not played it down. So it's easy to like this story, but like I said, regardless of what happens, it's just cool. And I'm happy for him, and he seems absolutely stoked, and that's that's just easy to root for. Yeah, it's it's really cool, man. And I'm I'm rooting like hell for him to have success, and I really do think he can. Like I, we've mentioned this a bunch of times, but realistic expectation is: can you be Connor Bazelek, but making quite uh, like fifty percent better decisions and running? Like if you can do that, that's a really solid college quarterback. And I think that was the frustration at times for most Mizzou fans with Connor Bazelek last year, it's just like, man, if you were willing to run or able to run one of the two, and if you made like half of these decisions slightly better, <laughs> everything about this offense would be better. And that's really all you need is just for him to be pretty solid with his arm, make accurate throws, make good decisions and then run a little bit, add some value with your legs. If you can do that, you're in a pretty good spot with your quarterback position going into the year. Absolutely. So let's review what he's done so far. He has he has shown up in seven games over the past two years. He has thrown uh, 65 passes, completed 52 of them. That's an 80% completion percentage. He's only got 417 yards and three touchdowns to his name, but he has not thrown an interception. He's only taken five sacks, uh, and he's averaging his uh, – just in net yards per attempt is 6.3, which is good. It's not mind-blowing. It's not terrible. It's, it's good. Um, he's also rushed 18 times for 120 yards, which is about 6.7 per pop. So that's really the big difference there. He has not had a lot of extended play outside of the bowl game. Uh, he threw four passes against Vanderbilt in 20, uh, three passes against Georgia in 20, and then for last year, four passes against SEMO. 19 against Georgia, which went for 78 yards. Yikes. Uh, And then 27 for 34, 238 yards, and the touchdown against Army. So this is going to be his second 
uh, Louisiana Tech game, assuming everything goes well. This will be his second like start to finish game. Now, I guess if Missouri does well, he sits out in the fourth quarter, but hmm. you get what I'm saying. Uh, this is going to be an extended look, and he's going to have to take advantage of all the reps against the Bulldogs, Louisiana Tech, because like you said, next week after that is at Kansas State. Boy, if you want to, if you want to throw your guy into the fire early, that's that's going to be a tough test. It is, but that's where I think that the legs can really become an asset, right? Because like things are going to be moving so fast for him. And I was listening to his press conference after he was announced as the starting quarterback for Mizzou, and I thought it was really interesting because he talked about how this off season he he really went to work on the mental processing of the game, being able to identify what defenses are doing against him quickly and trying to make sure that he can then adjust, right? So he he can read it, he can react, and it's all just kind of one fluid motion for him. He said he went back and rewatched that Army game a number of times, and one of the things that he noticed is he would make different decisions today than he made in the game when which he was playing. Mm-hmm. And that's good. Like you, you, We should all do that, right? You look back at your life and you think, think about any life decision that you've made, there's probably a few that you would make different decisions now, knowing Mm -hmm. what you know now compared to what you knew then. So Brady Cook learned from the opportunity that he had against Army. Now, that is at a very different level than the opportunity that he's going to have against K-State or Auburn or any of the other teams on the schedule in the SEC down the stretch. But nonetheless, it is an opportunity that he was able to learn from. And you look back at that game, I mean, he added nine carries for 53 yards and a touchdown, including a 30-yard run on the ground in that one. And I think you could see some of that against K-State as well, where, yeah, maybe he doesn't react quick enough because it's a defense that he's just not familiar with, or they they ran a pressure that he was completely unprepared for, or a wide receiver that is very young, like a Luther Burden, for example, right? He gets pressed at the line of scrimmage, doesn't react well, and it's the first time that he's gone up against this level of competition on a play-to-play basis. So the play's dead before it ever begins. On those plays where Connor Bazelak would have either thrown it away or taken a stack or whatever, Cook's going to be able to potentially get you a positive yardage, three to five yards on those in those spots. So I think that's the game where it's really going to come out where you see the value that he's able to bring with his legs. Mm-hmm. Louisiana Tech on the first, Kansas State on the road right after that. Back home against Abilene Christian, which should be a very quick affair, hopefully. And then, yeah, on the road at Auburn. Um, and then Georgia after that, but we're just not going to talk about that right now. Huh. Um, yeah, so it's... Don't, don't it's, judge him by that game. <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely not. And then you get to go to Florida after that. So, you know, congratulations. Um, just a brutal, brutal opening slate. But that's that's why you're here. That's why you're in the SEC. So, uh, congratulations to Brady. I will say this, you know, we we will see what happens. Uh, Drinkwitz made a point to say that Sam Horn is far and away more prepared than, he, than Drinkwitz anticipated him to be uh, at this point in the season. So, you can, you can, not to take away anything from Brady, but like you can find yourself in a position where you go because the opening slate is so tough and because the opening slate is so important to getting to a bowl game, to getting to seven, eight, nine, ten 10 wins, however many you think they are, you needed your most experienced and best piece to be taking snaps as your, as your quarterback. And 
does that mean he's the starter for the entire season? Maybe, maybe it does. Like you said, maybe he does enough at Kansas at Kansas State, where questions put to bed, or even Auburn, where it's like, oh yeah, this this is our guy. That could absolutely happen. But you need you need that in the beginning. <laughs> if Sam Horn continues to do what he is doing and impress at the rate that Drinkwitz is saying that he is impressing, don't count out the idea of Horn seeing snaps as the season goes on. Again, it's on Brady Cook to keep the job. You got to win it, and then you got to keep it. So there are a lot of things that can happen in a 12-game season. We are talking about game number one, and it's still three weeks away. But for Hmm. now, Brady Cook is your guy, and uh, we'll see how the quarterback room (laughs) rotates as the season goes on. Do you have any bold takes, uh, either a stat line or uh, a tidbit, a development for for the quarterback room uh, before we even get into the season? Yeah, I would say this. Um, the one other thing that I think is worth mentioning is that I listen, I don't like pushing guys out the door, and that's not what I'm trying to do here. However, we know how this works when one guy typically gets the vast majority of the reps at the quarterback position, and this is the same at Missouri as it is anywhere else in the country, there are going to be some defections or a defection. And just looking at the way that things have come about, I don't know what Jack Abraham's plans are. If he wants to stay, if he wants to go, my assumption is he'll probably stick around. I think that it's pretty clear. Sam Horn is a significant part of this team's future, whether that's now or a year from now or two years from now. I don't know what this means for Tyler Macon, man. Um, If I had to guess, and this is purely a guess, I would think he's probably the odd man out here and he ends up most likely transferring somewhere else, whether that be before the season, after the season, somewhere in between, that would be my guess here. And again, I'm not trying to push him out, but the way that everything has been reported and everything has gone since the start of this camp battle kind of seems like it was a three-way battle between Brady cook, Jack Abraham as being the wily veteran and Sam Horn as being the the brand new guy that impressed more than people were expecting very early on. I did not hear any buzz whatsoever about Tyler Macon potentially being the starter here. And I, I do think that is somewhat telling. It is. I, <laughs> I am not his mentor. He does not have to listen to me. And he probably doesn't listen to this show. If he does, though, here's what I'll say. If you want to transfer... That's totally fine. I think that's a great idea. I would love for you to play for Mizzou, but if you want to transfer, do what's best for you. However, if you transfer right now, it does you no good. It does you no good. You don't get an opportunity to put anything on tape. You don't get an opportunity to be in a college weight room, taking snaps, taking practices, getting getting swole, right? You're not getting any of that. You're going to be in the portal. You're going to be a transient quarterback with no home. Someone might take you now. Maybe. I don't know. But You know where still, I think you should go is Illinois. I was going to say Illinois would be, that's a place that needs, needs a quarterback. Mm-hmm. But you also, keep this in mind, injuries happen. Right? You look good in practice and maybe you don't look good in the field. I don't know. It does him some good to stick around just to be the first guy off the bench if something goes bad. Now, if he's not, like if Cook is the starter and then Horn or Abraham is the backup and Macon just does not get put on the field, yeah, go ahead and go. (laughs) I get it. I get it. But it is going to do him some good to stay put right now and then transfer at the conclusion of the season. 
Just pointing that out. But I also want him to do what's best for him. If that is Illinois, knock yourself out. If that's hmm. Iowa, God, can you imagine Tyler making that Iowa? Oh. Uh, uh, or you know, gosh, you know, there's plenty of teams out there. Middle Tennessee needs a quarterback. Memphis needs a quarterback. Um, you know, I'm I'm sure Arkansas will take him with open arms because they love everyone who used to be at Missouri. So you know, you got some options, man. But um, yeah, we don't want to push anybody out. But it does seem like that's probably what's going to happen. But um, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we don't have just quarterback stuff to talk about. Although that's been the most fun to talk about. We've also had some new faces earn some numbers. Uh, let's go down by position order. We got Jack Abraham earned his number 16. Uh, Tavoris Jones will be wearing 22. Tristan Wilson will be 73. DJ Coleman, the FCS transfer up, who's apparently taking second team snaps at defensive end. He is wearing number seven. Uh, Josh Landry, the Baylor transfer, is wearing 90. Christian Williams out of Oregon is wearing 92. Uh, Marquise Gracio, our boy, 94. Uh, LJ Hewitt, number 20, and then Jamarian Waynes is number 19. The uh, Marquise Gracile, number 94, that's Ziggy Hood's number. Just pointing that out there. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine guys who've earned their numbers, and I'm seeing Coleman and Gracile as, and Wayne as probably the ones that are actually going to see the field. So you're running out of guys who don't have numbers. Kind of surprised at a few that don't. Any big takeaways from this group of guys? I actually think there's going to be more than that from this group of really? players that could see the field. I could see Tavoris Jones potentially seeing the field. Um, okay. Landry and Williams, I think, have an opportunity to see the field this year. Jamarian Wayne, I think, might be a special teamer. Him moving over to safety gives me an indication that they really like him and they want to yeah. get him on the field this year. Um, otherwise, there's no reason to uh, like you just keep him at wide receiver, even if you think he's buried at the depth chart, because whatever, what's it hurt you? Right. But if you really like him, that's when you would move him over to safety to potentially get him uh, real opportunities on the defense. And then maybe you've got him as a special teamer as well. I have no idea what to expect from LJ Hewitt. I just, I don't know where he's at in his development curve right now, but I think a decent number of these guys at least have an opportunity to get on the field. I think the bigger surprise to me is, like you said, some of the guys that don't have a number yet. Uh, Demarion Houston, at least based on the website, does not have a number yet. Makai mm -hmm. Lee, who I thought would be at least involved in the offensive tackle battle, does not have a number yet, according to the website. Isaac Thompson, the safety, and then DJ Weselak, the defensive end out of the Boonville area, does not have a number either. So uh, those ones are surprising to me, especially Houston and Lee. You bring in Juco players to play. Mm -hmm. And if those guys aren't even in an opportunity where they're earning a number early in camp, uh, at this point, midway through camp, I'm not saying it's alarming, but it is definitely noteworthy. It is. I, I give a pass to Isaac Thompson because I do not know where he is sure. in his recovery from the every ligament in his knee being set on fire. Um, so that one is a pass. But yeah, you know, you would think that Houston or, or Lee would get a number just, yeah, based on the fact that Juco and they want to play and, and they haven't. So, yeah, okay. You know, we... <laughs> It's funny because sometimes I feel like we we mock this process as silly and obvious motivational tool, but it is a really telling tool to figure out like what staff thinks of each player, where they stand in the pecking order. 
Um, DJ Weselak, I just wonder if he's just not getting enough opportunities of practice because there's so many defensive ends that are so experienced. I just wonder if he's getting kind of lost in the wash there. But yeah, especially on the offensive line where there's a wide open opportunity, you would want Lee to get that number, and he's not. So that's that's not super great. Did you hear who they're they're trotting out at right tackle? By the way, because this one surprised uh, me. I might have missed it. What what who did you have? Armand Mimbu. Really? And Dylan Spencer. Uh, Guys, are you saying with the starters? Uh, rotating in with the ones, definitely practicing with the twos. Wow. Now, Armand Mimbu, freshman, 6'3", 319. Dylan Spencer, redshirt sophomore, 6'3", 340. Playing right tackle. They talked early on about how Mimbu was really impressive with what he was picking up mentally. And that's always like the things that you hear at camp it just for future years, the number one thing to watch for, especially in spring ball, if you hear there's that there's a freshman or a guy that's coming in via transfer that's picking things up mentally quicker than they expected, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because all of these guys are pretty athletic. They can make splash plays once they get onto the field. The ones that they're talking about that are like, hey, that, that kid really kind of gets it. And that's <laughs> what they were talking about with Mimbu. That's when you you kind of circle the name and you say to yourself, all right, there might be something here. That was the case last year um, when you looked at the offensive line with who was it? Uh, Connor Tolleson. They mm-hmm. were talking about him as being somebody that that kind of picks things up quicker than expected. So uh, it makes sense. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting to me because the, the modern the modern game features uh maybe the most athletic offensive lineman you've ever seen in the game. Your, your, your tackles on the edge are, are super athletic, very quick, very strong. They can keep up with those rush ends. You typically see them in somewhere between the six, 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 eight range, usually around three twenty, three thirty, something like that. And then you look out here and oh, here's six, three Armand Mimbo, six, two uh, or six, three Dylan Spencer hanging out on the end. It's, it's something that you don't usually see in the modern game. I will point out that Boise State has really made uh, their offense has been kind of predicated on the run. And what they do is that they field mostly offensive linemen who are really good at run blocking. And so they ended up with offensive linemen who would be like 6'4", 6'5", on the interior, and then like a 6'1", or 6'2", tackle that was really good blocking the run on the outside. So they had this dumpy offensive line, but it was geared around poles, traps, stuff like that to get the ground game going. And then pass protection was kind of a secondary thing. Boise State made their hay with that. They did really well with that. I don't know if that's something that can translate to the SEC, especially in the modern era, but you don't have to be some towering 6'9 juggernaut like Bobby Lawrence to play tackle. If you can just keep your space, keep your feet, keep your hands, it doesn't matter how tall or how heavy you are. You can you can do the job no matter what if, you, if you're like an Armand Mimbu who understands it very quickly. Yeah, and Mimbu is, by the way, a, a large individual. He's huge. Like that. He's 6'3", 320, so he, he's not, like you said, he, he doesn't have the height that you're looking for. I would be curious, because I, I haven't seen the guy in person yet, but I would be curious if he has longer-than-expected arms. Oh, could um, be, yeah. Because that that's a really important thing at tackle, more so in the NFL than, than even in college, but once you get to the NFL, they, they really look at arm length, and if you don't have... 33 plus inch arms like you're basically eliminated from contention playing tackle like that's a threshold that a lot of teams just will not go below and if he's got really long arms that would be something that could help him in that potential transition as well yeah 
Well, we'll, we will see how this goes. It's obviously a developing story. And as guys earn their numbers, you can start putting them down. Hopefully you're not a Taj Butts. You'd never even heard his number in the first place uh, before the season started. Hopefully you can get that, those special numbers earned on your shirt. Uh, so yeah, I mean that those are the big stories, but I thought this was a good time to take a, a step back and take a look at the SEC East. And, you know, obviously BK and I could tell you all about that, or we could bring in an expert to help us break down the SEC East and give us an outsider perspective of what the division looks like. So that's what I did. I brought in our friend Mike Bratton from that SEC podcast, fresh out of uh, SEC media days and the Paul Feinbaum show, brought him in to talk a little bit of the East division, uh, what the contenders look like, what some other teams look like and where Missouri plays out into that. So let's take a listen and see what he has to say. We are joined once again by the host of that SEC podcast, the highest rated SEC pod on Apple and Spotify. Uh, we're joined by Mike Bratton, SEC Mike, uh, fresh from SEC Media Days and the Paul Feinbaum Show. Mike, how you doing, man? Hey, Nate, doing great. I appreciate you as always. And, uh, you know, it, it's not often, I'll got to be honest with you, I do a lot of these interviews, but not often am I on a show that I listen to every episode. So I think you do a great job. I love the website. I love the podcast. And, uh, you know, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you for the kind words. We appreciate uh, you reading and listening, and we're, we're glad you're here. Um, we are, we are, we're gathered with SEC Mike today because the dude knows the SEC. And I thought it'd be a good idea to get uh, a kind of a bigger picture view of the SEC East in particular, especially since he spent uh, a couple of days at SEC Media Days uh, a couple of weeks ago, just to get an idea of where the teams are at and how Missouri plays into the SEC East race. So, Mike, let's start at the top. At SEC Media Days, the media picked the East as number one, Georgia, followed by Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina, Missouri, there they are, and then finally Vanderbilt. Is that how you see it? And if not, how do you see it? No, I've got a little bit different, Nate. Of course, I've got uh, number one and number seven the same. I mean, it, it's just incredibly difficult to talk yourself out of Georgia being number one. Although I, you know, I certainly think you could say there's an avenue to where that does happen, but I, I think that would have to to do more with uh, the the reigning national champions maybe reading the press clippings a little too much and. <laughs> We all know Kirby Smart has been here with Alabama, not as a head coach, obviously, but as a an assistant, winning so many national championships at Alabama. I don't, I don't have much concern that uh, Kirby Smart is going to be uh, losing focus by any means. But you know, this is a game of of college football players. The players matter more than coaches. I don't care what anybody says. That's my opinion on that. And how will these players respond after winning the national championship? That is a, a big question mark for them dogs. But, uh, and then of course, number seven Vanderbilt equally as obvious of an answer there. I mean, all due respect to Clark Lee and company, but just a total, total rebuild down there in Nashville. So number one, number seven, I think everybody's got to have the same if they're being honest, but then two through six, I I've got it completely different. And I think you could, you could honestly talk me into almost any team in any order here. But I threw a little curveball. I like to get a little crazy with these preseason predictions as long as I can back them up with some logic. But I've got the Florida Gators, Nate, believe it or not, number two in Whoa. the SEC East. I, I'm a big believer in Billy Napier. 
I'm kind of mm-hmm. buying the hype with Anthony Richardson. Obviously, I don't. I've seen some people out here say, "Well, he's going to be the first round, you know, first quarterback taken." I mean, I I think that's a little absurd, but I do think he's enough of a talent to make five to ten big time plays for the Gators. That uh, could mm-hmm. be the difference between uh, you know the number two seed and, and maybe a three or a four seed for the Gators. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that is that is an interesting take. I, I wanted to get back to Georgia. I mean, it's like you said, it's tough to not assume that they are going to win the East, but because it is a game of players and players are human and they are not always the most consistent bunch. Is I guess is there a chance that Georgia doesn't win the East? And if not, what happens? Which team supplants them as the East champion? Well, I mean, I guess I would naturally have to say Florida. But mm-hmm. this might sound crazy. My number three team, Tennessee. I'm a little bit of a Tennessee homer, a Tennessee graduate over sure. here. I don't think yep. the Vols have the roster to compete with uh, Georgia over a 12-game schedule. And, of course, they have to play Alabama, which kind of almost always takes them out of consideration because mm-hmm. they're, they're behind mm-hmm. the eight ball already in the East having to play Alabama. But if that offense – which Mizzou fans know all about it there with Josh Heupel. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just high-flying the last nine games in particular. I believe Hennon Hooker was the the most efficient passer in the country if you just look at the last nine games of the season. If he can continue to be red hot, if that defense takes a step forward, they would, among all these teams, they have to avoid the injury bug more than anybody because they still don't have a very deep roster. If there's a wild card, I think it is Tennessee. I think that's the only team that could conceivably upset Georgia and make a run at that uh, SEC East title. But obviously I got them number three for a reason. I don't see that happening. (laughs) That would be tough. Um, You know, the non-con is what it is. You got Florida at home. Then they go to LSU, which, you know, probably the worst team in the West. Then Alabama, Kentucky at home at Georgia, Missouri in Columbia, and then at South Carolina at Vanderbilt. I mean, it kind of seems like Georgia's schedule is set up a little bit better than Tennessee's to make a run, but uh, I don't know. I mean, is do you think Stetson Bennett is a quarterback that can do exactly what he did last year and still get to the national championship? Or is this the year where, uh, not not to smirch the young man, but maybe the, the pixie dust runs out for Stetson Bennett? Yeah, and I've taken heat from Athens for saying this, but uh, in my quarterback rankings, I had him 10th. In the SEC, yeah. and, and that's a little bit of a projection of the, of the full yeah. season and how I see them playing out. But uh, you know, I'm not even a big Will Levis fan. I'm sure we'll get to him in a moment. But mm-hmm. if we're being 100 percent honest, Nate, if you know, if we had trades in college football, I realize we don't. But if Kirby Smart got on the phone right now and called up Mark Stoops and said, "I'll trade you straight up Will Levis for Stetson Bennett," would he make that call? I mean, I mean, no way, no way, no way Mark Stoops would trade (laughs) Will Levis for Stetson Bennett. So I think that tells you something. And, you know, let's give the guy credit. I'm not sitting here trying to trash him. I think he deserves a statue outside of uh, that stadium when his career is over for for his story, being the walk on, ending the 41 year national championship streak there for the Georgia Bulldogs. I get all that. And, And he deserves all the credit in the world. But. You know, here, here was an interesting thing. I went back and recently I watched the SEC championship game from last year. What It was a great game, obviously, Georgia and Alabama. But Alabama 
had the lead there. There was 34 seconds left in the first half. Georgia had all three timeouts, and Georgia was down in the ballgame. Now, you could say, well, heck, they had the whole second half. Maybe that was the logic there. But what did Kirby Smart do with Stetson Bennett? They essentially needed out and, and said, we'll, go, we'll be down at halftime. And again, if you have an elite quarterback, I realize 34 seconds is not a ton of time, but with, with, the, with the rules, with the clock stopping on a first down, with three timeouts in your pocket, I just don't think you kneel on the ball in the biggest game of the year when you're down. But that's what, that's what Georgia did. And I think that says more about Stetson Bennett than anything I can say. Yeah. I mean, and you mentioned Will Levis and, and, you know, Kentucky, Kentucky is kind of the epitome of patience paying off because they gave Mark Stoops just as much time as he wanted to build. And it seemed like he had, always had a good defense, always had a running game. It was always the quarterback that was missing. Well, they bring in Liam Cohen, they bring in Will Levis and Wandale Robinson. And that passing offense just explodes last year, but Wandale's gone and, and, and Cohen's gone. So are we seeing the ceiling of Kentucky football right now? Like, is, is this the best it's ever going to be? Or are they legitimate contenders for the East or for the SEC or for even a college football playoff berth? Yeah, that's interesting because you know, Mark Stoops, if you just go by recruiting rankings and, you know, there, there's value in those. You can't just completely go off recruiting rankings, obviously, though, but they are they are recruiting better than they ever have. And they, they they just keep steadily getting better. Now they're not recruiting to the likes of uh, Georgia and, and Florida and Alabama and A and M and all these teams, but they are getting better. And hey, if they continue to to push in that direction, maybe they can finally get to Atlanta. But I'm just not a big believer. And I've got them fifth in the SEC East, which uh, I said that on Fine Bomb and. Oh my goodness! I mean, the Big Blue Nation is—they've been in my mentions ever since. If let me word of advice, Nate, if you ever go on national television, don't call out an entire fan base. And I actually did that with two of them, which uh, which is A and M, but they got their own yeah. problems to deal with. But you know, yeah. Matt Jones—I I think every, your audience will know who that is. I, I got a lot mm -hmm. of respect for uh, you know the brand and, and everything he's built, but he just made a what I thought was a ridiculous comment after I called out Will Levis. Um, and I've been told from, from people in the NFL, they have at, at very high levels within the draft system there, Will Levis right now has a third-round draft grade. And I think that makes him one heck of a quarterback. Again, I'm not sitting here yeah. trashing him. If you're a third-round draft quarterback, you're probably one of the five to ten best quarterbacks in the country. But you're not the best. And, and this number one overall talk is just ridiculous when it comes to Will Levis. So many interceptions. He went six weeks, Nate, without completing a pass 20 yards down the field last fall. And that was with a coordinator that is obviously now with the, 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 the L.A. Rams. But back to my Matt Jones rant, he called me out and said, well, Joe Burrow. I mean, he's the next Joe Burrow. It, it, it's plain as day. Well, let me tell you what Joe Burrow was working with. He was working with a guy named Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrence Marshall, all three of those receivers currently in the NFL, Thaddeus Moss at tight end now in the NFL, Clyde Edwards, a running back, first round draft pick. And they, oh, they had a guy named Joe Brady. So, mm -hmm. and also Joe Burrow had an undraftable NFL grade when he was making his decision on whether to come back for a senior year. So there really wasn't a decision. I mean, he had to come back mm -hmm. and he was not even listed on the Heisman 
preseason, he had no odds. You could not find Joe Burrow odds. So this that comparison does not make sense on many levels, and, and it really has to do with the with the talent surrounding Will Levis. Lost his three mm-hmm. best linemen all in the NFL. Chris Rodriguez, his status is, is still up in the air. I'm hearing he's going to be suspended for at least two games, which would mm-hmm. m- mean he'll miss the, the trip to Florida, which is, I think, mm-hmm. the pivotal game of that Kentucky schedule. And I, I just don't see the weapons that he has to work with with Wondell Robinson off to the NFL. I think Kentucky's offense, I'm not saying it's going to be poor or anything like that, but I just I think they're very, very overrated at this point in time. And and where Kentucky's strongest is on the linebacking core on defense. And, and hey, credit to mm-hmm. them. They may have the best linebacking core in the SEC East, but I say that. And I think the two positions you really want to be strong in, in modern college football is the defensive line and the defensive backfield. And their defensive mm-hmm. backfield is uh, basically completely in transition. And all their their defensive linemen have left the program. Now they do have uh, some of the guys they are bringing in that are projected starters now, four-star players, even a five-star uh, former recruit. So there's talent there, but I got to see it before I believe that uh, Kentucky is going to do much better than than fourth or fifth best in the SEC East this fall. Mm-hmm. And if you want to talk about overrated, I'm sorry, man. We got to talk about your Vols. <laughs> we got to talk about him. Again, you're talking to a Missouri fan who saw the Josh Heupel experience firsthand for two years, two mm-hmm. magical years. You know, like he's got Tennessee as a hot commodity. I, no doubt about it. But much like the Missouri Tigers did with him as an offensive coordinator, Last year, Tennessee went one and six against teams in the SP plus top 35. They went six and zero against everybody else. That includes going two and five against teams with winning records and five and one against teams with losing records. So it, it just always seems like the hypo hype. It, it might be legit, but it could be just another case of, you know, his offense completely obliterating inferior opponents and then unable to get past teams with similar or better talent. Are you seeing what I'm seeing, or do you think this is a completely different case? Yeah, I was having some terrible Missouri nightmares when you sent me those statistics because they, they were eerily similar to uh, the, what we experienced there in Columbia a couple of years ago. But, you know, you, you might be onto something, but at the same time, man, you got to realize that he took over what was essentially a smash mouth offensive system they, they were trying to round run ground and pound under uh cheney the former offensive coordinator and, and they had nothing at quarterback nothing at receiver N- their best running back was a transfer from the junior college ranks yet he set the all-time record for most points scored in a season i mean i i just thought that sure. was incredible with a guy that uh, was cast off from virginia tech again hendon hooker was so efficient um, again, you know, you see comments like, I, I don't know if you saw this, Nate, but uh, it was Greg McElroy said, this offense could be borderline unstoppable or, or something crazy like that. And I'm sitting here shaking my head because they don't have a left tackle. They don't have a game-breaking running back. And they, they do have an elite receiver in Cedric Tillman, but basically the rest of the receiving core, they're just question marks at this point in time. Now, that was basically the same case at Tennessee this time last year, speaking of the receiving core, and he got a number of guys uh, to produce career numbers. So, you know, I, there's reason for optimism, 
And you also got to remember when, it, when I talk about what happened last year, Tennessee had 25 guys that jumped in the transfer portal and they just didn't have a lot of elite defensive players to work with. And they still don't. So mm-hmm. that is a huge question mark. I, I think the defense will be a little bit deeper, but uh, their statistical numbers are, were, were just horrible if you look at them. But again, they, they were working with essentially 18 guys on defense last year. I mean, it was, you lose one guy here or there, it would have been a nightmare scenario. And and it's, and it was against some teams they played <laughs> like uh, Purdue in the bowl game that they, they were down mm-hmm. a, a corner who, uh, opted out for the NFL draft and, and they just couldn't guard anybody which is simply having one corner gone. So that's kind of the depth of the team. That's again, why I don't think Tennessee is a realistic contender for that East crown, but to, to counter some of those stats you had, I mean, if you go back and watch, I mean, you got to remember how elite that Georgia defense was. I mean, it, it may be the best mm-hmm. defense we've ever seen in college football. They, they had not allowed a point, excuse me, a touchdown in the first, quarter last year Tennessee came right out and drove right down the field scored a touchdown on them and and went toe-to-toe now I think they allowed 45 consecutive points or something like that after it so it wasn't really a ball game but you know they they showed some ability to to play with the high-end teams they they went down to Alabama and that was a four-quarter football game Mm -hmm. Uh, they they were Mm -hmm. going neck and neck with Alabama there which for the life of me I mean what's that streak at 14 or 15 I can't remember the last time it was a competitive (laughs) ball game but it was yeah. last season. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I see what you're saying at the end of the day, but I, I just think this game is such a, a quarterback driven game. Now, if Hendon hooker continues to progress, I think Tennessee is going to be able to play with, with just about anybody next year. And it's going to be because that offense is going to be able to outscore a lot of people. Now the defense, unfortunately is probably going to be, uh, giving up points just as quick. So it's going to be a wild ride on Rocky town. Yeah. You know, let's get to your 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 dark horse challenger here with Florida. Uh, you know, Billy Napier gets hired from Louisiana, and he shows up in Gainesville and immediately says, "Hold up, we all got to be patient. We all got to be patient on the recruiting trail. We got to be patient in the development. We got to be patient with the record." And you know, I get it. Uh, you know, the Dan Mullen is not renowned for his recruiting. Uh, he is he is a great offensive tactical mind who probably got more out of that roster than anyone else can. But there are, you know, there's some termites in the foundation that Napier is trying to get out and the recruiting has been start and stop. So, you know, you hear all of this in the off season from the head coach, from the head man and all the messaging coming out of that program. Is this actually going to be a struggle bus season for Florida or is this going to be one of those quote unquote disappointing seven to eight win seasons? Yeah, I mean, it, it could be a nightmare uh, with uh, Utah coming to town in the opener. Utah, right. they just debuted as a, a top 10 team, I believe, in the coaches poll. And then Kentucky comes to town, and then they have to travel to Tennessee week four. So, I mean, it's not absurd to say that uh, the Gators are going to start one and three. And and if they do, boy, will I look like an idiot. It old takes exposed. <laughs> He's going to be tweeting me out. But I look at it the opposite, man. I, I just – I mean, maybe I'm just, I am the biggest SEC homer, but I just don't got a ton of respect for Utah. I think coming down here in the heat and the humidity, I think that's going to be a four quarter game. And if Florida can find a way, I, I think they're going to have a one heck of a season. And it, it, it really, whether they win or lose that Utah game, it may be unfair to expect a win given Utah's hype, but I think they can beat Kentucky. Nate, if, if you were to take the names off the jerseys and just look at this roster, look at that roster, 
and you're looking at Florida's and K- Kentucky's on a blind taste, uh, you know, a blind test. I still think you take Florida's roster. I think they have more talent to work with. And, and that is assuming that Anthony Richardson does take steps that I think he can take. I like the fact that they've addressed the offensive line via the transfer portal, brought in a couple of guys that played for Billy Napier. They brought in a running back that was a Sunbelt freshman of the year under Billy Napier. So, you know, you're seeing some pieces there that, that should be pretty seamless uh, to that offense. This is going to be a ground and pound. Now, they've already gotten bad news. So this is a team that really couldn't suffer many injuries due to the uh, the depth issues, you're, you know, with the recruiting issues that you address with Dan Mullen. They don't have ideal depth. They brought in a, re- a receiver, Ricky Pershaw from Arizona State. I was hearing it was looking like he was going to be their number one receiver. And we don't know how, mm-hmm. how bad he's hurt, but it sounds pretty bad, Nate. It, it's, he's already in a walking boot and everything like that. So I don't know what it says about your Florida roster if an Arizona State transfer that – I think he had 43 catches last year is your, is your number one. Mm-hmm. But that's the current state of the, of the roster down there. But, again, they, they've got a really good secondary. They've got a, plenty of talent with Elam back there, Jason Marshall – is, is, I think, yep. going to be a breakout candidate at corner. Uh, they're getting uh, Ventrell Miller back at linebacker. They, the, the linebacking crew never recovered when he went down in the Alabama game. They still got Brenton Cox, Dexter Gervin. They got a 400-pound nose tackle. I, anyone Jeez. that's big, I, I love him. You know, the, he, may not, he may only give you five plays a game. I'm going to be cheering for him for those five plays, you know, because I'm a big guy too. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I just think – you know, I, I, for the life of me, cannot pick Tennessee to beat Florida. It's They've lost like 16 out of 17 to the Gators. I don't care where that game's played. So you give them that one. And, and like I said, I'm kind of already on record. I think they'll beat Kentucky at home. How can mm-hmm. I pick anyone other than Florida if, if they're starting the season beating those two? And unlike Tennessee, they don't have to play Alabama. Uh, they get, uh, of course, LSU and uh, Texas A&M, 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 which I think yep. – Again, everybody's circling that as, oh, Texas A&M, top, top 10 team. I think A&M is really overrated. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying Florida's going to win at College Station, but I think that's going to be a lot closer game than, than people are anticipating at this point in time. Yeah, Missouri's pledge brother tends to drop the ball a lot when it comes to you know on-field production. They'll recruit and spend money with the best of them, but you have yet to see any results that scream elite talent, so I'm with you on that one. Um, one bone of from of kind of bone to pick with with SEC fans and kind of the media in general is, is South Carolina, and I think one of the biggest things, at least for Missouri, is that we definitely view well, we certainly view them as our actual rival. I think a lot of us realize that South Carolina is very much a peer program, uh, both basically from population, location, resources, all that sort of stuff, and they're they're in a similar position in a rebuild. They're a year behind Missouri, and yet. They win seven games in the first year, and all of a sudden, you know, everything's fixed. Oh, they're bringing in Spencer Rattler. Oh, everything's going to be great. Like, is there something more that Missouri fans just don't see in this South Carolina rebuild? Or has Shane Beamer actually got this program turned in the right direction that quickly? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's a very fair question. But I think we're all kind of victims to what just happened and the momentum or the seemingly momentum of the program. And I think the reality for South Carolina is they were not expected to go bowling. And the last time we saw them in a bowl game, they were a heavy underdog to North Carolina. They, they beat the pants off of them. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden you get all this momentum. 
you, you had Spencer Rattler, like you mentioned. I mean, he's kind of the the key to the whole hype train there in Columbia. Whereas you flip it to Missouri, I mean, there was a lot of people. I mean, I, I think you remember this, Nate. I was saying Connor Basilak, uh, I, I had him very low in my quarterback rankings. And at, you did. For, a, for a month, you I did. had to hear about how he was co freshman of the year like that meant something but uh, I did say that yep I did <laughs> I, I and then while Missouri had a disappointing season and then they go to a bowl game and they drop it uh I I, I you know I think all that kind of plays into those narratives and no disrespect to uh to Brady Cook which I, I just went back and watched the army game to kind of to to kind of prepare for this you know, had, had South Carolina named Luke Doty the starter this week, I think he would have been getting the same buzz as Missouri's getting with, with Brady Cook. And, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that Brady Cook's not a good player, but it's just doesn't have that, you know, Spencer Rattler. I mean, my goodness, there have been reality shows on him. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's got his own logo for what that's worth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like the pioneer of the NIL era. He was getting all this hype and attention, Heisman odds. I mean, I think it's ridiculous to to call him a Heisman contender, but – I mean, all that plays into it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think you're on to something. I, I don't think it's fair. I don't necessarily think it's accurate. Um, but right now, South Carolina is going to get that buzz until further notice. And, and it's not just Missouri fans that that feel that way. Kentucky certainly, they own oh, South sure. Carolina. I, th- I think they've beaten them seven <laughs> out of eight. Yet Holy they, cow. they for the life of them, cannot. Anytime I, I say South Carolina over Kentucky, oh, I, that's another one I got to hear for, for quite a while. <laughs> so what, I mean, you talked about Spencer Rattler as, as a star, a star in the league or the league in college football. Um, yeah, he, he was, he's been on TV. He, he commanded a lot of attention at Oklahoma. Um, I do think he kind of got a raw deal in, in Norman, but he, he is in South Carolina. So the, the, the celebrity aside, what do you think of his game? If you've watched any tape of him, do you think he is a five-star first-round draft pick talent, or is he, you know, maybe a little overhyped in high school and just a fine quarterback at this point? No, I, I went back, Nate, and watched every single throw he had at Oklahoma, and I was very, very impressed. I mean, he's got a big, big-time arm, and I realize, uh, you know, that system is is kind of geared toward helping the quarterback, but. It's just such a massive upgrade from what South Carolina had. I mean, they had to start a freaking coach at quarterback. I mean, that was ridiculous. That that is literally yeah. the only time I can remember that happening. They they pulled a GA off yeah. the sideline and and threw him out there. I mean, it's it's night and day different. And again, I'm not sitting here saying Spencer Rattler's gonna win the Heisman or he's a lock to be a top ten pick. I, I think all that's kind of ridiculous, but it is a massive, massive upgrade in my opinion. And we talked mm-hmm. about this re- uh, on my show. It'll be coming out on Thursday. But just the weapons there that he has to work with at South Carolina. I mean, this this will seem like a crazy statement, but given all the defections that Oklahoma had after Lincoln Riley left, I think he's got better weapons ar- around him wow. now at South Carolina than he than he would if he had returned to Oklahoma. So I, I think mm-hmm. we just didn't get to see a lot of it because the quarterbacks couldn't get these guys the ball. And that was before they added a Wake Forest running back who rushed for over 2,000 yards in his career. He add him to the backfield, Marshawn Lloyd, who was a five-star talent that tore his ACL mm-hmm. two years ago. You know, this is his time to step up. Uh, I love Jaheim Bell, the tight end, who he went wild in the uh, bowl game over North Carolina. For some reason, 
They they just could not get him the ball to that bowl game, really. Uh, he's a big-time breakout player. So I just love the weapons. Josh Van is a great player. Go back and watch mm-hmm. South Carolina, Georgia. I mean, he toasted Georgia. Again, they, they couldn't get him the ball but once or twice a game, but he did the most with what he could. They got a guy uh, – now, take this with a grain of salt. He played at James Madison last year, but he played two years at James Madison. His name's Juice Wells. He's – shattered the all all the records down there at receiving in, in two years so i mean mm-hmm. I, you, you put these pieces together i think south carolina is going to have some real weapons uh but but their problem is uh, something missouri knows all too well unfortunately is stopping the run and they open mm-hmm. with arkansas in in conference play and followed by georgia which those are two of arguably the the two best rushing attacks in the sec so south carolina could certainly be starting the season with the hole and if you're a Missouri fan, you hope maybe that tumbles into a, a really disappointing season for the Gamecocks. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of disappointing, let's let's talk about Vanderbilt. Um, <laughs> not, no fault of their own. <laughs> you want to be the smart kids' school in the most you know elite football conference in the country? Knock yourself out. Um, it, I would assume nothing's been confirmed, but I would assume that Vanderbilt's going to give Clark Lee pretty decent leash, probably a Mark Stoops size leash, uh, in his rebuild. Uh, you know, obviously he's a, he's a native. He grew up in the Nashville area. He went to Vanderbilt. So like, there's, there's a lot of cool stories about him and he's coming back home to fix it. Can he actually even reach the heights that James Franklin hit or is Vanderbilt and Clark Lee, just any coach just kind of going to be another doomed endeavor that they repeat for the rest of time? Yeah, I don't know if you saw this, Nate, but when old Clark Lee, I live in Nashville, so I, I get all the updates, but he came out here in one of the local pay outlets and said, we're on a 10-year rebuild plan. And I was like, my God, this is the Ooh. SEC. can't be talking 10-year, but then you then you realize, well, we are talking Vanderbilt here. So yeah, uh, yeah the longest leash in uh, all time in the SEC likely goes to Clark Lee if they give him that long. But no, I mean, I don't really see the – the James Franklin era coming back anytime soon. I mean, the East was really down. That was towards the tail end of uh, Mark Richt. Tennessee, well, hell, Tennessee's been down for about two decades now, it seems like. And they, they were certainly down at the time. And, and Florida, I can't remember who was the coach. Mm-hmm. Was it Must? I think it was Muschamp at the time. Muschamp, so, yep. I mean, it was a whirlwind of uh, <laughs> inadequate coaching at some of the powers that be in the SEC East, at least historically. So, yeah, I think that all played a factor in James Franklin and his rise. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just such such an uphill climb, and and really, they just don't support that program, and it's and it's a shame yeah. because I really think that Vanderbilt, there's no reason they can't be Northwestern of of the Big Ten or Stanford mm-hmm. of the Pac-12, and and again, the expectations at those schools is not necessarily to come out here and and win the conference title, but to, to be, you know, a tough out week in, week out, pull an upset here or there. Uh, I think Clark Lee could be the right guy for that. They've really got to uh, take some strides on that. I mean, he's a defensive guy. They were just got awful on defense last year. Uh, they, they have added some nice pieces. Of course, they got Barton Simmons there uh, running the recruiting department. So it, it, it's a little, mm-hmm. it's very intriguing. I, I really hope they give these guys time to figure it out because I think they could, potentially really unearth some some really good gems out there. I think I think the toughest thing for Vanderbilt, unfortunately, they seem to be finding good players 
Yet when they get a commitment, it's like the rest of the SEC says, oh, let's go check this guy out. And <laughs> yeah, it seems like yeah. a quarter of the guys they land a commitment from flips to another SEC program. So I don't know. I don't know if you tell them to hold off till signing day or what. But, um, you know, I love Mike Wright, their quarterback. The the He's a very, very athletic guy. And uh, he he really impressed me. Was, was my first interactions with him was down there at SEC Media Days. And, I mean, he had the the best personality of anyone down there for what that's worth. But he really seemed to have, you know, a level of uh, confidence and enthusiasm that I think Vanderbilt could really rally behind. And, and Vanderbilt, obviously they started with uh, the biggest egg in, in probably college football last season, losing to ETSU would have been very Mm -hmm. easy for them to kind of pack it in and just said, you know, this was a, for, a forgotten season, but they got better as it went on. I really did think they they should have won at South Carolina. They South Carolina needed a, a late rally to beat them, but uh, you know, I I don't think it's quite as dim as some people would think. But it's just it, it, to me, it comes down to the commitment, and I don't see the commitment from the school. I don't see the commitment from the boosters, and and the administration down there. And until that changes, Vanderbilt is, is they just got no shot in the SEC. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up with uh, the favorite team around these these parts. Let's talk about Missouri. Uh, late last night, or middle of last night, uh, Eli Drinkwitz proclaimed that uh, Brady Cook is going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, they brought in Nathaniel Pete out of Stanford to try and replicate Tyler Beatty's production, signed Luther Burden, brought in a ton of transfers on the defensive line uh, to fix the obvious problems there. When I was when I've been talking about this team for for eight months now, and it's there's a lot of options and nothing proven on offense, and then a lot of options and nothing proven on defense. So, what what is Missouri going to do? Does, does it rely on Brady Cook being good, or can this team, in your eyes, actually make a leap uh, with the talent that they brought in and and kind of claw their way to fourth, even though everybody thinks they're going to be sixth? No, I think there's a real possibility that uh, Missouri is is one of the sleepers in the SEC. I mean, I think their SEC opener, I think everybody just assumes out, outside of Columbia that Auburn is going to easily beat Missouri. I think that is a is a game that could be a real momentum turning for the Tigers, go down on the plains, hopefully for their sake, Auburn just co- get waxed by Penn State. Maybe uh, <laughs> confidence is low there on the plains. But even if they beat Penn State, I, I still think Missouri can get a win down there, which which would potentially propel them. It, it, it's kind of like that Kentucky game last year where they didn't get it done, and, and it just from there it was kind of a slide. But, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of Drinkwitz and everything he's doing up there. The recruiting is, is going gangbusters. I know it's not as well this cycle, at least at this point in time. But, you know, I think Missouri may have the best, well, the best maybe a little bit of a reach, but maybe the most underrated receiving core in the conference this year. So naming Brady Cook, now they can kind of build that rapport with guys like Luther Burden, of course, uh, love it, mm-hmm. Mookie Cooper, Barrett Bannister, we can't forget, Toski Dove, and hey, Drink was the only coach who gave us the time of day down there for a one-on-one interview. So <laughs> I may be a little biased. Um, but the reason I've got Missouri sixth is, you know, I'm just not a huge fan of uh, Blake Baker. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I don't know if maybe that was the only option they had to, 
for a defensive coordinator. I mean, well, I think this is four defensive coordinators in four years for, for old drink. So I don't know mm-hmm. what is the deal with that, but uh, they've got to get that corrected. I thought, you know, at the time, Steve Wilkes seems like a, he seemed like a home run hire. Obviously it was a little bit of a disaster, but I think most people overlooked how improved Missouri was by the tail end of the season. You know, hopefully they can carry over that momentum. And if they can, Missouri is going to surprise a lot of people. But let me ask you this, Nate, because I this is a little uh, a little nugget I picked up down there in Atlanta. But you know, I I know there's been allegations of of NIL was uh, maybe the big reason why JT Daniels is not a Missouri Tiger. But I was told mm-hmm. by someone down there that would know that he was concerned about Missouri's offensive line, which I know they've got a really good tackle, and and now they've unfortunately their center is ineligible for the season for some reason but uh i don't know are you buying that and do you think missouri's offensive line will be an issue is it going to be an issue no i don't think so uh you know when Drinkwitz first came uh on campus in 2020 the offensive line uh you know did pretty well i mean they, they weren't the greatest offensive line in the world, but it, it had uh, you know, like a 23% uh, pressure rate for quarterbacks. Uh, sack rate was about 3%. All those were very good. You know, they, they struggled a little bit in short yardage uh, situations, but then last year came in and even without Larry Borum, who's an NFL caliber tackle, you know, they slotted an FCS guy and bring up higher and white and they improved dramatically. They were getting, you know, uh, four yards per carry is 70% of the time. They were winning in short yardage situations. They dropped their pressure rate. The sack rate stayed basically the same. There is a scheme here that Marcus Johnson has, and it doesn't really require you know star power to do it. Um, there, again, there's a ton of options. You could probably go nine deep on that offensive line and not see a drop off. Now you're not going to have you know like an Evan Neal on the tack on the side mm-hmm. that's going to just completely destroy anybody. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got what's here. If if you have Connor Wood, Xavier Delgado, and Javon Foster as three of your of your four kind of left side and then the the right guard, Connor Tolleson slotting in, those are those are guys that are all graduate level or senior level guys. You know, if Hiram White plays, if Bobby Lawrence plays, if Zeke Powell plays, they're all graduate students too. So there's a ton of experience. And maybe, you know, experience doesn't equal quality but there's not going to be a drop off if an injury happens or if a rotation needs to happen. So I, of all the things to be concerned about Missouri football, offensive line is not one of them. Um, there's a plenty of other lists that we need to address. Uh, but yeah, if that's what JT thinks, then knock yourself out, man. Have fun at uh, West Virginia, right? That's where he ended up. Um, I, I don't know much about the Mountaineers, but I can't imagine it's that much different than, you know, a Missouri. Am I wrong? They play, I think, uh, nationally televised, Pit week one, and Oof, we'll probably never hear from JT Daniels again after that one. It would be my opinion uh, now that he's at West Virginia. But yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, and like I said, I went back and watched the bowl game, kind of forgot how mobile Brady Cook is, and, and the fact yeah. that, you know, he led them to a game winning touchdown drive. They missed the mm-hmm. two point conversion, unfortunately, but. No, I think that says a lot. I, I know it was uh, Army, so yeah, it's a great you take that with a grain of salt. But a lot, how I really judge quarterbacks, Nate, it, particularly when they're early in their, you know, seeing the field, is just if the game's too big for them. And a mm-hmm. lot of these guys, just you can kind of, at least I, I feel like I can tell right away the game's too big for them, 
and I didn't get that impression at all from Brady Cook. And uh, you know, I think he could he could be primed for a big season. And and I'll give a little pl- plug to my buddy Clark Brooks. He goes by SEC Stat Cat. He works for On Three Sports. Had him on the show back in July, I think it was. And you know, he he studies all these quarterbacks, and, and he goes by every single play, and he and he gives them grades and all that. Very statistical, analytical guy. He had Brady Cook as one of only four quarterbacks in the SEC last season with a high p- passing floor. Now, of course, Brady Cook barely played. So, again, it, it's kind of hard to evaluate that with uh, one start and, and what did he play against Georgia. I, don't, I can't remember if he played in any mm-hmm. other games. But, you know, from what we saw, um, I think he called him a check down king or something like that. But uh, for, for, I hope we're not getting Connor Basilak 2.0. He, he seemed like uh, an upgrade, in my opinion. And and I think it really a quarterback's only as good as the weapons around him. And I, I like sure. I said, I think Missouri is going to have uh, just a really good receiving core. And I always got confidence in the running game with a drink calling the plays because he seems to know how to manufacture elite running quarterbacks uh or excuse me uh, elite production out of the running back position year in and year out mm-hmm. see mike can be nice to missouri fans he's got good things to share it's not all bad um <laughs> but yeah that i mean that's that's good analysis i'll take it uh we're all very excited for the brady cook era to begin and uh that's a that's a good set of statistics to start with so michael bratton thank you sir for joining us today i appreciate the insight yeah, anytime, Nate. I really appreciate you having me on. My thanks again to Mike Bratton. You can listen to him on at that SEC podcast. You can also tune into Feinbaum and hear him poke the trolls. He's very good at that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember this time last year we brought him on because he was talking about how Connor Bazelak was a bottom-tier quarterback in the SEC, and <laughs> I guess he was right. But hey, at least he likes Brady Cook. <laughs> at least that was good news there. So uh, it's not all doom and gloom with Mr. Bratton, and his show is worth listening. So Thank you to him. BK, it feels like there was a lot that happened, but it was mostly just quarterback-centric. Is there any other stories or thoughts that you have before we let the people go? I don't think so, man. I I mean, the quarterback is just such a massive story, right? And I also think, like, maybe this is the last thing that we should touch on before we get out of here. The fact that they announced this publicly before like mid August is <laughs> kind of shocking to me. I didn't expect them to do this. I thought they would either wait up until like the actual first game first snap. You guys will find out when we take the field who the starter is because that's how coaches do it nowadays. Or they would maybe like at the very end of camp say, you know what? Uh, wanted to let you guys know we've named whoever in this case, Brady cook as our starting quarterback. I thought those were probably the two most likely routes that Drinkwitz would go with this. The fact that he was able to announce it and willing to announce it so early on, I do think that it it tells you that this was pretty definitive, that there was there was really no question about it. They had made this determination and it was clear the best guy for this job right now is definitely Brady Cook. I'm all about it, man. Roster roster depth is not nuclear launch codes, okay? The second you trot out your team on the first snap, they know who's playing where. Like It's not a secret, okay? And just because you've got, what, one drive of, ooh, you didn't know who was going to be quarterback, but I'm calling the plays the same pretty much. Like, it's it's silly. I hope that they do this for every single position. Give everybody their, their moment to shine. They're not going to do that. But it's the the secretization of, of 
a child's game played at the college level is is so silly to me. And I know there's a lot of money that's running on the line and all that stuff, but it's it is a breath of fresh air to see somebody openly admit like here's our quarterback, here's our guy. Let's celebrate that. That is so much cooler than keeping it close to the best and finding out, you know, play one of drive, one of game one. Cause that's, that's lame. And college football coaches are lame. So I, that's what I'm I with you on it. Not being nuclear codes. Unfortunately, like you said, coaches treat them that way. So I'm happy that drink decided not to do that. Whatever Bill Belichick and Nick Saban do is, is gospel. And that's, that's uh, that. anyway, that's going to be our show for today. We appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us because we love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm Matt and H.E. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rock M flagship at Rock M Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Z-O-U.